0: Paul McLaughlin, McLaughlin at Work, grateful for your joining me today, no matter where you are or what you're doing, remember McLaughlin at Work can be mesmerizing, so if you're working and or operating dangerous machinery, be very careful. Today, we're going to be discussing marketing, but of two different perspectives, two different levels. The second interview is with Bob Gilbrath, who's the chief marketing strategist for Bridge Worldwide, and his book, The Next Evolution of Marketing, really deals with big business kind of marketing on an analog level to some extent. The first interview is with Brian Halligan, inbound marketing, much more of a digital focus orientation the subset Get Found using gig, Google Giggle, social media and blogs. But first, let's understand why Bob Gilbrath, who you will hear from a second, why did he write this book? All good. All here on McLaughlin at Work.
1: Thanks for joining us.
0: Give the people who, are, who would read your book what the author is, is all about. How do you feel about it?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, overall, the, the main reason I wrote the book is for people who um, are like who I was at Procter & Gamble, brand manager, you know, working hard at a big company, you know, the, and wanting to, to make a difference, wanting to grow sales, wanting to, you know, have my career, you know, improve, but knowing that what I was doing, the, the process we were using today wasn't working very well.
0: And that's Bob Gilbreath, and he'll be joining me for the complete interview after our discussion with... Brian Halligan. The subject matter today, inbound marketing, get found using Google, social media, and blogs. I had the opportunity to speak to Brian Halligan, who is the co-author with his colleague Dharmesh Shah. And I did um, uh, Brian the disservice when I spoke to him the other day when he gave me his email address and said it was HubSpot.com. And I said to myself, hmm, haven't heard of that. And I realize now, in uh, retrospect, that that was not only a lead-in, but a a, a disservice to what you've created. Brian, tell us about HubSpot. Tell us about what you and Darmish do and have done, and then lead into inbound marketing and what this is all about. Sure. Um,
2: Before I uh, started this company, I I was a venture capitalist investing in... Um, startups and helping them think about how to grow their businesses. and um, I would ask them, you know, what's the plan? How are you going to fill the funnel with leads and and grow? And most of them did very traditional things. They do advertising and email marketing and trade shows and cold calls. And It just struck me that, boy, people are kind of sick and tired of being marketed to and are getting better and better at blocking out these traditional marketing methods, whether that's you know, DVR on your TV or it's uh, you're using your iPod instead of your car radio listening to those ads or you've got spam protection on your PC or caller ID on your phone, that something had changed. And, and while this was going on, um, my partner Darmesh started a blog, and his blog was called OnStartups.com. And he was very clever about how he optimized the articles for Google, very clever about engaging with other bloggers, and really clever about using um, social media to spread uh, spread the word
0: and, and the timeline on this, Brian, when you refer to startups uh and when you and darmish first got going yeah, two thousand and
2: six okay. Um, and so we had this thesis that marketing was essentially broken, the existing traditional marketing that people have done for the last uh, 40, 50, 60 years. Uh, the companies like Procter & Gamble were really built on the backs of interrupting their ways into people's living rooms and convincing them to uh, buy their products that just society was sick and tired of being marketed to. And at the same time, people like us here on the on the phone listening we kind of shop and learn in a whole new way. We go to Google, we go to blogs, we go to social media sites, and that's where we live, that's where we breathe. So the idea behind inbound marketing was turning marketing on its head and how do you pull people in in the natural course of the way they shop and learn in Google, in blogs, in social media. And uh, instead of trying to interrupt your way into, into potential customers' lives, how do you just pull them in naturally? And that, now, that's, now that's you, essentially you, the idea.
0: You and Darmish uh, in 2006 were of a certain age. Um, And uh, obviously, Facebook in your backyard to some extent is um, is is that a a, how did you be how were you able to get rid of your legacy thinking what what was it that turned you from outbound to inbound was there was there an aha moment as they say or was it uh, a result of your the people you were around or working with the, the next generation coming up. What, what, what allowed you to turn that big ship around? <laughs> um,
2: there, there was an aha moment, actually. I, I, was, uh, at, I was working with one of the startups my venture capital fund had uh, funded. It was probably a 50-person startup, and the marketing vice president was presenting her plan. It was a million-dollar marketing plan for the year. And um, she was going through her budget, and she was, well, we're going to do this trade show, and we're going to do telemarketing and then we're going to do, and she was going through all her lineups and halfway through her presentation, I said, well, pull Google up and let's do a search and search on whatever you want um, about your industry. What would someone search on if they were looking for you? And she put, first she put in the name of her company, so of course she ranked number one for that. And then she put in a, a nice description of her product, Sarbanes Oxley Security Software is what they sold. And she was buried, you know, on the fourth page of Google. And it just was ironic to me. They were spending a million dollars interrupting people who barely gave a hoot about what they were trying to sell, weren't that interested in it, were ignoring their messages, ignoring their cold calls, ignoring their emails. When at the same time, there were thousands of people actually searching on exactly what they sell, and they couldn't find them. (laughs) That was the aha moment talk, for me. Talk
0: about ships passing in the night.
2: <laughs> no, it was like, well, there's a disconnect here. You're spending a million dollars interrupting your way into these poor people's lives that don't give a hoot. And there's all these other people over here in Google that actually want to buy what you're trying to sell, and they can't find you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I can tell from the tone of your voice that it's, it was a memorable moment. It was. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then in, in the old story of execution, what did you do
2: next? well we we started trying to help these companies figure it out, so we would go in and, and introduce them to a search engine optimization consultant, and then would bring in blogging software for them so they could start creating content would introduce them to social media tools and web analytics and content management systems and landing and all this complicated stuff and This is where the idea for HubSpot came is in order all of them bought into the idea that marketing that the way people shop and learn had changed, and that marketing needed to catch up with the way people shop and learn. But although, to, although probably the, the, uh, the
0: observation about uh, viral being viral hadn't quite caught on yet. Not you, yet. We were pre-viral.
2: Yeah, a little bit. And so we tried to start implementing inbound marketing in these companies. And, and everyone liked the idea. They just had a hell of a time with all the damn technology and figuring out how, to, how, to, how do I blog, what's this search engine optimization stuff, social media. And to implement it all, you needed a bunch of consultants and a bunch of software programs, and it's a big, hairy project. And so that became HubSpot. It's, what HubSpot is, is kind of a, a modern marketing platform to enable people to pull this stuff off. And that's where the idea came from. We weren't planning on starting a company. We just saw a huge gap in the market for this simplified Modern marketing platform, essentially for these uh, for these companies. That that's where the uh, that's where it happened. We went to Sloan together, um, and uh, we just kept in touch while he was still at Sloan. I was a venture capitalist, and we said, "Well, why don't you just start a company and help these help these businesses out?" And uh, and and so,
0: what do you got now?
2: <laughs> where where is you? We, we, so we started three you've years ago. You've got a ago. book. <laughs> you've got a book. You
0: have got a book you have gone back to print, and, and and speaking to David Meerman Scott on on how you uh, move books and and inbound and the like. It's always refreshing to see that there's a return to the library.
2: Yes, the return to dead trees.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and it's interesting. I guess it was Wiley, but your book, uh, and and that's your imprint, and I I should remind people, I'm speaking to Brian Halligan and talking about inbound marketing, which happens to be the the name of uh, his book, co-authored with Dharma Shah, Get Found, Using Google, Social Media, and Blogs, and presumably... As we speak, go, Google, social media, and blogs have um, morphed and become other names that are, that are, even, that are inbound marketing. Um, and, and the cover of it is, um, is sort of uh, different in that the, co- the jacket is the cover, and the cover is the jacket, uh, but you're back, you wrote a book and, yep. and, and forwarded by David Meerman Scott, who clearly is one of the pioneers um, in this business of the new PR, which was his book. Uh, and you touch on PR, but now with that as a lead-in, what is inbound marketing in in its uh, concept, and you re-describe it please, and then take it to the level of execution?
2: Sure, so uh, what really works today on the internet, and, and David Meerman Scott essentially is saying a lot of the same things we are, we're more a software company, he's a consultant author, but what in, the way to do it is you've got to create... It's a, there's a step-by-step process. Step one to pull inbound marketing off is you've got to be, kind of become a publisher um, yourself. You've got to create lots and lots of content. The winners on the Internet are the people who create lots of remarkable content, whether that's blog content or videos or e-books or whatever it may be, but you need to turn yourself from a traditional marketer into like half marketer, half publisher. And and it's that content that becomes a magnet on the Internet for links. So you want other website owners to link to your content. And those links send you traffic. Those links influence Google. Google that content can be spread in the social media sphere. So it's, it's the key to inbound marketing is cranking out great, remarkable content. And I use that word remarkable. I stole it from Seth Godin. He uses it all the time. And you want to be remarkable because what you want is other website owners and bloggers and Twitter users and whoever to remark about your content and right. link and to you, it.
0: And you, you visually use that by putting the remark in italics.
2: Right, I did. So you,
0: <laughs> inbound marketing, there's nothing like doing – fiddling with letters and fonts. (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) So that's kind of step one, is, is create tons of content that's remarkable. And step two is you have to optimize that content. You optimize it for Google, and you optimize it for social media. And when I think about optimizing content and I think about a modern marketer, Marketers typically grew up it's sort of an arts and crafts type of an industry, and today it's more a publishing type of industry. So I think about the Boston Globe. I live in uh, Boston. If I open up the Boston Globe to page two... Brian, when
0: you say Boston Globe, I think most people around America understand you're from Boston.
2: (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) So if you open up the Boston Globe, and you're on page two and page three, or any newspaper, New York Times, there's 14 articles there, and there's different titles. And you may pick one out that you're interested in. As a publisher and a marketer today, you have to become very clever about how you write those titles um, so that they catch people. So you want to write great, for example, blog article content with a title that's, that, that is enticing to Google with some, with some words that, that you want to get found on in Google. And then you want it to be enticing within Twitter, within Facebook, within these social media sites. So step one's content. Step two is really optimizing. And then step three is promoting the heck out of that content in Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, or whatever the social media site de jour is to start to pull people in back into your site. So it's kind of a, it's the inbound marketing step-by-step process. Um,
0: I'm an entrepreneur of sorts. I have a consulting business um, as well and, and the, the medium that I have chosen is the, is the word, uh, the spoken word, and I think there's a great deal of selling power in it. Um, but one of the things that, from your book and speaking to David, uh, Mirman Scott, is there's an awful lot of um, one-man band associated with these kinds of things, and I was wondering how does how does the individual leverage other people's skills rather than trying to figure out if you're of a certain age, and, and it's torturous to try and figure it out, to try and figure out Google or LinkedIn or, or uh, Facebook or all the others that I can't even name, or even even Twitter. Um, how do, what kind of advice do you give to the individual who has all of the things that you're talking about, except they run out of time?
2: Yep. Um, so uh, that's a really good point. A couple comments on it. My first comment is there, there's a great uh, cartoon. I like the New Yorker magazine. They have a great, great cartoons. The cartoons.
0: Are you the other? Uh, is Shaw? I saw in your book that Darmesh um, does some of the cartoons. Are, is that you above him? I couldn't quite read the uh, signature. Uh, uh,
2: no, that's not us drawing them. There are ideas, but that's not <laughs> us drawing them. Because it's Shaw. His name is on the bottom. Yeah, because it's his idea, but those aren't his. Uh, <laughs> his drawer. He's not that good a drawer. He's got clever ideas though. Okay. Well, it's just,
0: it'll it'll move people into the book.
2: Yep. Anyway, this is a great cartoon, the New Yorker, and there's a dog on a computer and there's another dog looking over that dog's shoulder and the caption on the on the on the cartoon says, "The great thing about the internet is nobody knows you're a dog." And it's very true. You don't have to be a big company with a famous brand like Nike or Procter & Gamble. If you've got good ideas on the internet, boy, they spread like wildfire. If you have bad ideas in the internet or undifferentiated ideas, unremarkable ideas, They just go nowhere. And so it's a great time to be a one-man band type of company, it's a great time to be an entrepreneur. Think about being an entrepreneur 10 years ago, you had to spend tons of money on PR, you had to spend tons of money on advertising to get found, and it was just hard to spread your ideas. Much, much easier today if you've got a good idea to spread it, the friction is much lower. Um, So it's a great time to be a one-man band. In terms of how do you get going if you're a one-man band, I recommend whether you buy HubSpot or not, it doesn't matter, but come to the HubSpot blog. It's blog.hubspot.com, and what we specialize in is taking all this complicated stuff and boiling it down and making having it make sense for mere mortals like me. So uh, I'm a mere mortal. I'm not some rocket scientist. I'm a marketer, um, and we try to boil it down. There's a couple other places you can go. We have these a tool called Website Grader that's really handy where you put your URL in the tool, and then you hit go, and it will give you a score of 1 to 100 on how kind of magnetic, how remarkable your site is, how many links are coming in, what Google thinks of it, what the social media sphere thinks of it. And it gives you a four-page report on how to fix your site and how to get going in the social media sphere. So those are a couple ways you can get started that are free.
0: Yeah. Um, it, still, it still is a daunting task, I think, for, for um, people who have the idea but then don't know. I guess the the, the answer is, and David Meerman, Scott, is, is you really can't help but get out and get recognized, and you've got to do whatever you have to do in order to achieve that.
2: Yeah, and I think the key to getting recognized, if you do nothing else, is start a great blog with remarkable content, not so much about your product, but about your industry. and and turn yourself into a publisher, turn your website into a hub on the Internet. When When I think about a website, most websites are like my hometown. I grew up in Westwood, Massachusetts. There's one highway that runs through it. There's no airports. There's no bus stations. It's kind of a small town. What you want your website to be like is New York City. New York City's got two big bus stations, three big train stations, three big airports, lots of highways coming in and out and that's essentially you want to become a hub like New York City with all that going on. And the analogy would be if you just create great content, those highways will come in. Those are links from other websites. If you create great content, there will be bus stations that will pop up. Those bus stations are Twitter users who are starting to talk about your content. If you have great content, then um, you know, you'll have a couple airports, and that's Facebook. So. If you do nothing else, step one is kind of create a blog about your industry, say really interesting, remarkable things. And if you're nobody, you can go from nobody to to something very interesting very, very quickly.
0: Um, what, what are the distinctions between written blogs, uh, audio blogs, and uh, and video, flip cameras and the like? What What is the medium important?
2: Um, I don't think so. I think the key is just creating great content. Some people are writers and some aren't. So if, if you just hate the act of writing, get yourself a flip camera and record yourself talking and create a uh, you know a live TV show. So for example, every Friday at four, we have a live TV show here at HubSpot, HubSpot TV, and it's great. So if that's your thing, do that. If if you like to write, crank a blog. If you're more into this uh, medium. Um, a radio or a podcast, do this. So it's really up to you. And I think the key is just starting creating great content and don't get too jammed up about, uh, you know, which medium. And what is, uh, describe HubSpot.com. HubSpot.com is our website. We can come and use our software. Our software essentially takes you step-by-step step through the process of creating a blog, optimizing content, using social media, and really leveraging the Internet to, to grow your business. HubSpot TV, HubSpot.TV, is our live television show that runs every Friday at 4. And it's essentially an Internet marketing news show. So we analyze the, the latest week's news in the Internet marketing world, what's happening at Google, what's happening in social media, and we give you tips on how to really uh, grow your business, essentially.
0: Um, w- would, would you do me the indulgence of taking me back to a little bit to ground zero on how does, how does uh, HubSpot.TV – actually run over the internet and, and is it I, it's such a stupid question that i don't sometimes know the difference between watching something on a computer and watching it on tv what is the actual mechanism simplified for people like myself that hubspot tv dot tv actually comes on somebody's computer screen
2: yeah i don't know what tool we're using now there's a bunch of tools out there you can use um where essentially if you get a cheap flip camera it's I think ours was two hundred and fifty dollars, uh, a couple decent lights, and we we point them at Karen Rubin and Mike Bolpe, are two marketing folks and we run a twenty minute show and we just live stream it essentially over the internet and then so people can come and they can watch it live, but we also record it and then we put it up on iTunes so you can subscribe to it so every week you'll get an update in, in your um, you know you get an update in in your iTunes, on your iPod or whatever it would be. With, your, uh, with, you know, with the content from the show. So it, it's basically a live streaming that you can also record and then download later.
0: No, Now, for people who have uh, tried to watch the uh, inauguration online and the like, is it true that, that you put out enough, uh, and I, I'm going to get the terminology wrong, but enough broadband on this so that, in effect, you're putting out a, a, a fire hose and as long as the right number of people watch it, you won't run out but if you had a remarkable show that a lot of people hit at one time that the nth person would not get it is that is that true of the technology
2: it could be but that nth that nth is re- a really big number um and for 99.99% of businesses it's not going to matter uh, you know what i mean <laughs> you know what i mean it's got yeah. it, 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 the internet's just gotten so much more robust and it's just hard to get to that nth number
0: and so um
2: so your, your your average human doesn't really need to worry about it.
0: You're okay. Okay. Yeah. So your average human who's who's trying to figure out how how this all uh, how this all works.
2: Yeah. yeah. And I forget what system we use for. I apologize for HubSpot TV. But if you come to HubSpot.tv and just look at our system, it, it says it right on there what we use.
0: Yeah. and and I'm gonna do that and recommend that uh, that uh, others do it uh, others do it as well. Um, where does it, it, for somebody who latched on to who saw the light who created this notion where is this um where are we going uh with um with the internet and on screen and and how does one inevitably if people follow your dictum the 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 more they get out there the more they're going to be accepted and seen and get placed when do we reach that tower of babel
2: <laughs> You're a very interesting interviewer. Um, I, I think we're at a very, very interesting point in, in the history of marketing. So I, I think about right now, right now, right, I know. No, right, very, very, right now, second. God, <laughs> this is this will be on tonight at four o'clock. <laughs> um, the, 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 I mean, marketing hasn't changed a whole hell of a lot for the last 60 years. If you're a Procter & Gamble, you take every nickel you got and you pour it into television or radio advertising and you interrupt mom and dad on the couch while they're watching. And mom and dad actually watch your ad. They don't have TiVo. They don't have a cable. They don't have a clicker. They watch everything. And advertising has worked famously. And it worked worked just great. And huge companies have been built around this sort of interruption-based outbound marketing. And And it's been... Fantastic, but it's sort of the ride is over, um, and I think the next 50, 60 years of marketing are going to be turned on its head. It's how do you create great content to pull people in and not interrupt them, and how do you how do you leverage the two-way web, the really interactive nature of the web to have a conversation with your potential customers and grow your business that way. So I think we're, we're at the very beginning of a massive wave. I think Madison Avenue is going to blow up in the next couple of years. You've know, got these big Madison Avenue firms that um, you know, are really masters um, of interrupting people. You, you watch that show Mad Men. And it's a great example of it. I just think that whole industry blows up. And there's a whole new set of great companies that emerge that are very good at doing this inbound marketing stuff.
0: HubSpot, uh, talk about interactive, HubSpot.TV, how far away from the technology are you from having uh, somebody uh, Skype into you and have that show up as an as a interactive conversation, if you're not there already?
2: Um, you actually can it, it, to, can have a conversation on HubSpot TV now. There, there's a chat pane on there now, so uh, you can have a conversation. But we prefer to use Twitter during the show. So while we're running the show, we keep Twitter up, and people can have a conversation with Mike and Karen, the, the hosts, during the show. So typically during the show, they'll mention um, a question that came in through Twitter. They'll respond live, and there'll be a discussion about the question going on during the show. So it's sort of happening now. Okay. Yeah. So, Twitter is very interesting. What's going on with Twitter is fascinating.
0: Um, it was uh, – you might have seen it differently. I view it as something that happened roughly this time last year. I don't know why I equate it with Shaq O'Neal, but that's probably a pretty shallow way of looking at Twitter. But it was about a year ago when Twitter exploded. Is that yeah. fair? Yeah, I mean, it's continuing to explode. So I understand just, that. I mean, yeah. They, they, But, yeah, was, probably but a, year a year ago. They, maybe a little bit more
2: yeah. in October, November. Yeah. Um, it's when Oprah first started using it. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember the date, but she sort of really put it on the map.
0: Yeah, and I guess that is that's that is truly one way of talking about inbound marketing, is yeah. talking about Oprah. Yeah. Um, Twitter, from your perspective, works because...
2: Uh, I think Twitter. So I think a lot of people use Twitter. See
0: now, now Brian, you've got a platform. You you've become a sociopath. <laughs> You're somebody who can actually measure these things that are going on.
2: Yeah, we can. And
0: opine about them.
2: We can. And that's yeah. why
0: I'd like to talk to you about it.
2: Okay. Uh, so a mistake. A lot of. Well, so. People use Twitter. So I use Twitter myself. I enjoy it as a medium. And essentially, I think of Twitter as very light, something between blogging and text messaging with a group of people. And what I essentially use it for is I'll come in in the morning and see what the people I follow are tweeting about. And what it's turned into is people tweet articles they see on the web that are interesting. So rather than read the damn Boston Globe... I'll go and I'll follow... (laughs)
0: People have been calling it the damn Boston Globe for a long time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Instead of going to the Boston Globe sports page, I'll go to Twitter and follow There's some people on Twitter who are... are, Like the Red Sox are on Twitter now, and there's a whole bunch of Red Sox-related folks on Twitter. And I'll go and read what they're saying, and they link to the Boston Globe articles. But they also link to other articles um, about the Boston Red Sox. that are all over the Internet, like bloggers and whatever. So it's just a very efficient way to learn what's going on and read these links and consume information... So that, that's why people essentially use it. It's just a very valuable way to, to just consume information. It's a new way to learn and collaborate. And as a marketer, what's interesting about Twitter is if you've got content yourself, you're creating that blog or that video that's fantastic, you should market it through Twitter. So you've got a Twitter feed yourself. You've got a lot of followers. When you come out with your article, you tweet about it, and all your followers would see it. If your followers enjoyed it, they will retweet it, and other people will see it. And your message spreads, and people come in and read your blog article. If they like your blog article, hopefully they visit your website and fill out your form, and they buy something from you. Essentially, that's, that's the way Twitter works for marketers.
0: And it will. Uh, what, what what is what is what comes after Twitter? What what do you what do you anticipate? And I guess a, a corollary to that is: does it does Twitter take a lot of time for you? I mean, you're in the business, so it's important to you. But I guess what you're saying is, you can't afford not to be not everywhere. But you've got to be in a, a lot of places, and Twitter is one of those. Because people who are going to find other medium are going to find it through this, I'll call maybe Twitter an index, a morning index, and that's where they're going to find you.
2: Yeah, the way I think about it as a marketer, not as, a, not as just the user of Twitter, is I'm used to hunting through the jungle for elephants, and all those elephants have moved out of the jungle and they moved to the watering holes in the savannah. And one of those watering holes is Twitter. So unless you're at the Twitter watering hole and, and enabling those... those you know, elephants define you and you're the lion, essentially, um, you know, you're missing out because your customers have all moved onto the savannah. you got to move on the savannah, and one in, in the watering hole on the savannah, they're hanging out is Twitter. So as a marketer, it behooves you to hang out where, where your customers are hanging out now. Um, so, so instead of trying to interrupt them with an ad on TV, which they're not going to watch, or interrupt them with an email that they're not going to open, or cold call them, and they're going to block you out with their caller ID just enable them to find you with great content in that watering hole. Uh, that watering hole essentially is Twitter.
0: Okay, so you're an educated guy and you're in Boston and um, you are using things like Twitter as opposed to maybe more mainline. You look at the cartoons in the New Yorker. You, may, um, you may, may read Gladwell when he comes out with his book or actually read the articles. Or, and this is a soapbox question. Are you concerned? I'm thinking about a little bit about the Kindle and getting the news, the newspaper on the Kindle, and I-, I find it easier to look through the index there, and it's less costly, and I don't have to worry about the trees that I've destroyed and all that kind of stuff. But my question is: Are you comfortable that where we're heading in terms of news on? That with that we can survive without the New York Times or the New Yorker, and that everything becomes sort of a daily Wikipedia.
2: You know, I'm a big fan of Charlie Rose, and he is always poking at that question, and I worry about it. Like the model of the New York Times and the AP, and how they can deploy people out to, you know, Africa and the Middle East and, and. have an economic model where that news gets fed back has been very, very interesting. It is very, very valuable to us as voters in the democratic process. It's really changing now, and everybody's a reporter, and it's been very decentralized. So instead of the AP having somebody in some sub-Saharan African country, there's a bunch of Twitter users with cameras. They're taking pictures, or there's people putting YouTube videos out. And essentially the news-gathering process has been massively decentralized, and it's going to be a big change for people like us who consume news to figure out how to filter that stuff and get what we want to help us make better decisions. But I, I think it's going through a massive sea change, the whole news gap and the consumption of news process. And um, I think we're right in the middle of that, that shift that's going on as well.
0: Yeah, and, and it comes back to who do you trust. I guess if you, if you find a blog that is consistent, uh, with your, with a R. W. Apple or a William Sapphire or somebody like that, then you're comfortable with it. But if you're not sure of the source, and I guess that really goes back to something like HubSpot. Why would you tr- trust HubSpot? Well, it identified something in in 2006 and, and took it to the next level. Uh, it, it is a concern, I think, for for most thoughtful people as to who ultimately is going to be the author and and
2: whether you you, tr- you trust the source. Yeah, I think that's a big issue. We have been, so for example, we're worried about that same issue. So we built a little tool for people, it's free, that they can try, called TwitterGrader, TwitterGrader.com, where you put in someone's Twitter profile and you hit go and it gives you a score. It's not completely a trust score, but it's a score of 1 to 100 on how influential that person is. So for example, if William Sapphire had a Twitter account, he would have lots of followers. Every time he posted something, many people would retweet it. Um, the people who followed him would be powerful, so he would have a 99-point-something score. Right. It would if be like my, a,
0: quarter, a quarterback efficiency rating.
2: Exactly. And my sister, who is fantastic, but she's a housewife and isn't sort of a trusted author, probably wouldn't have a whole lot of followers or retweeting going on, um, so she would have a very low score. So we're trying to get some proxies in there. We also have a, a Facebook grader um, where we're playing with that, and we've got a person grader. That we're starting to play with. But that is a tricky thing, is how do you find those trusted agents? And essentially, that trust is being decentralized. If you've got something remarkable to say, and it truly is interesting, and you're building up trust, people will follow that trusted person on Twitter, and people will start linking to that content more and more. And as your content gets more trusted, you get more links, and you get more authority. And what's very interesting about the Internet is once you've built up some authority, that authority tends to build over time those links you're getting into your content, those Twitter followers don't go away, and it's like a it's it's like compounding interest the way it works. That once you've got a lot of followers on Twitter and once you've got a lot of links into your blog, every time you post a new blog article, you'll get a lot more links because lots of people are following your blog, you'll publish it on Twitter, lots of people will see that, and you kind of get this snowball effect going. So the, the trust is really decentralized today, and it, it, it's all changing real time. It's a, it's, a very interesting, um, it's a very interesting topic and time to be uh, thinking about this stuff.
0: We've had such an interesting conversation. I don't think I've advertised you as much as, uh, as you deserve. Brian Halligan and his colleague Darmesh Shah have written a book, uh, Inbound Marketing, Get Found Using Google, Social Media, and Blogs. Um, they can buy the book, obviously, uh, through the usual out- outlets, and as an advertisement, if you will, Brian, for you and what you do, where, where where's the where's the core value? Where do people go to learn more about what you and your colleagues are all about in this evolving
2: marketing space? Yeah, go to hubspot.com, h-u-b-s-p-o-t.com. That's where it is. That's where it's all happening. It's on that
0: worldwide web.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Brian, thanks very much for the uh, opportunity to speak with you today, and. Um, I'm going to uh, check out uh, HubSpot.tv at uh, 4 p.m. and then on uh, iTunes, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. But thanks for the start. Thanks, Paul. Phase two, second part of this episode of McLaughlin at Work, speaking with Bob Gilbraith and a different kind of marketing, the next evolution of marketing. Connect with your customers by marketing with meaning. So the next evolution is marketing with meaning. Bob Gilbraith, thanks for joining me. Thanks very much for having me. Um, what, when you say the next evolution, what is the most previous to what the next is? Well, I think what, the, what's the foundation you're working off to move to the next?
1: Well, I think that there's a couple ways to kind of to look at that, and maybe two two macro evolutions here. One is that really what I what I see that we're we're moving from and where we need to move from is the the current model traditionally that we've looked at what marketing and advertising is about is putting a, a message, a product or message in front of consumers' eyeballs and hoping that some uh, percentage of the millions and millions of people who see that actually remember the product and end up buying it in store. Um, that model is starting to break apart before our eyes as people uh, diverge into many, many forms of media, What you know, not only from five channels to 500, but into video games and uh, into iPods into podcasts. Uh, uh, the, the mass interruption model is failing on that level, and also as people control their media more and more, they're, they're skipping and avoiding advertising, which they never really liked anyway.
0: And one of the things that's near and dear to my heart as I'm on streaming radio is that people don't really understand where sound is coming from anymore. Right, exactly. It could come from a stereo, it could come from a terrestrial radio, it could come from a satellite, and who knows how that gets to us. Exactly. It could come by streaming. People aren't sure where the stream starts or what the where the headwater of that stream is.
1: And, and people, but people do appreciate having the freedom to listen to or, or watch what they want when they want it.
0: And if it's good quality, they don't care where it came from. Exactly. And free is better than paying for it. <laughs> you, you got it. <laughs> and, um, the few, and the fewer advertising, sort of. But let me, let me stay with my question. Yeah. I have a tendency to wander here, but I'm using, <laughs> using you as an expert to say that the, the next evolution Succinctly put, where are we coming from and in what stage are we of that evolution?
1: Yeah, I mean, succinctly we're coming from a a world of kind of tell-and-sell, interruptive marketing. And society has evolved now to where we can no longer kind of trap our customers in in a few limited, even free media. And uh, even when we are able to put our messages in front of them, many times they can skip it or, or avoid it. Or, frankly, with 3,000 ads a day, you know, they've learned to, to block out a lot of that noise. So when society has shifted, you know, just like any good uh, uh, evolution in, in uh, the animal kingdom, uh, if your prey has uh, evolved, you've got to evolve as well. And in this case, the only thing we can do when people are rejecting the interruption that we've been doing for decades, is to create marketing that people actually choose to engage with, and advertising that itself adds value to people's lives, and that's really what I I call marketing with meaning, and and that next evolution there.
0: Um, and with people like yourself, have the pleasure, as you and I talked, of interviewing John Gersma, who's the chief insights officer at, at YNR, and I understand that that uh, your company um, is also uh, under the general heading of a, of a much larger advertising firm. Is that right.
1: correct? Right. That's right. Uh, we're both part of uh, WPP. All
0: right. And, and how many of these, um, are, are you marketing firms or advertising firms? How would you like to be thought of?
1: Well, I mean, we we technically, our our agency, uh, Bridge Worldwide, fits under the the topic of, uh, you know, we're a digital and relationship marketing agency. Okay. So clients are specifically hiring us to come in and and do everything from strategy of, you know, how should we help them reach their customers in the digital world, or how do they form relationship marketing programs, and all the way through to to execution, which for us is everything from websites to email programs to mobile apps.
0: And... Basic questions because I'm a basic guy, and I like to think that my audience sure. at least has to start from a firm foundation. What constitutes digital as opposed to non-digital?
1: <laughs> Great question. I mean, basically, one way of looking at digital is anything you can click on. <laughs> anything you know, whether anything where there's a consumer kind of choosing to, to take an action. Uh, you know, where, there, where there's a, a, divi- a device that people are using to get information digitally. Um, is one basic way of saying it. So it's not just websites or email. It's getting into things like social media, Facebook, mobile uh, uh, phones and tools. And in a way, the world is, is completely going to digital. So that's, that's one of the the areas that there's some uh, back and forth in our advertising agency world is some of us uh, digital upstarts are, are kind of growing into digital. Some of the, the higher level strategic work for the brands overall, while some of the traditional um, advertising agencies are, are quickly trying to learn the digital space, too.
0: And digital as a word followed, it was the evolution out of analog, right? Exactly. So right. what's the difference between digital and Analog.
1: Well, I mean the the analog is basically things that are that you cannot easily change and uh you know its, <laughs> <laughs> by its nature. Thank you very much.
0: Frozen like in is she thinking.
1: <laughs> frozen in form. The way so, we were. Yeah, exactly. So Print ads, direct mail, posters, newspaper uh, uh, ads, uh, television commercials, I think fit pretty well into that kind of ana- analog marketing world.
0: Right. So McLaughlin at work here uh, selling audio and voices. I would like to think it's digital. I take this down on, on uh, talking to you over the telephone, take it down on, um, sure. on GarageBand.
2: Sure. <laughs> uh, post a
0: couple of pictures, and we're available on, uh, on iTunes. McLaughlin at work is. And I notice on your book jacket, the, uh, your imprint is McGraw Hill, so you've got a certain yep. credibility by virtue of who publishes you. Sure. Um, and you get a uh, looking at the back, it says, "Get a free marketing with meaning." Marketing with meaning, mobile phone app, visit, market, marketing with meaning. So, looking yeah. at the book, qua book, I'm always interested in guys who are digital who are writing books. <laughs> I, I just it, you know, it's part of the fun of doing what I do is to say, "Hey, you're an author. Is an author an analog or a digital?"
1: Right, it definitely analog still. Okay. Although everything was made digitally and written and rewritten multiple times over.
0: I can imagine a lot easier. But it, but it's right. actually
1: it's interesting. The iPhone app that we created comes from a big negative of uh, book publishing, which is I've actually got hundreds of examples in the book of uh, some things. You know, whether it's a, a print ad that I've scanned in or a picture of a, an in-store event, or obviously some some viral videos and websites. But you can't see those in a book, Um, both it's difficult to print it, and it's very hard to get uh, permission to publish uh, pictures of of other people's marketing. But what we've done is created this iPhone app where you can actually have it up and page by page hit a button to link to the examples uh, on your mobile phone that I mention in the book itself. So when we get to things like the Dove Evolution viral video, of course, I can't put that, embed that into an analog book, but with the iPhone app, you can, within about two seconds, watch the, the video on YouTube on your, your iPhone right there. Wow. So we're trying to bring some, uh, some innovation uh, here to a, an industry that hasn't changed for quite a long yeah, time. Yeah, good
0: for you. Good for you. And you know what I really like? I did talk, now, this is, I thought your bookmark was very clever. <laughs> and, and now that, that's analog.
1: Well, you have to explain that. That's
0: uh, yeah. No, I'll let you explain it. Uh, Presumably, you were the one who did it.
1: Yeah, we actually, uh, again, a, at our agency, cool. at our agency, cool. Bridge Worldwide. You know, we had an opportunity to to make an ad uh, to put in at the back of the book that I wrote, and so we had a contest here at the company, and we had uh, multiple teams actually work on it and and, and various concepts, and, the, and really the only brief was, you know, uh, it has to be an ad that is meaningful. So one of our teams came up with an idea that's basically uh, uh, you can cut out <laughs> part of the ad and use it as a bookmark uh, as you're reading. So there's a there's an ad with a, a meaningful value there that, that people can use.
0: Now as as I'm talking to you or or as as I'm reading through the book, I could go on to marketing meaning uh, marketingwithmeaning.com. Mm-hmm. And I would be able to see what you're talking about. But you've added another element of that, of creating an app.
1: Right, right. I mean, really, what we're trying to do is not just sell b- books. In fact, that's not really, the, you know, it, it's, it's only one piece of the puzzle. What we're trying to do well, is an agency if I thought is, you
0: really wrote this book to make some money, I'd call you a fool. I mean, <laughs> exactly. That doesn't that was, stri- it doesn't strike me that you're a digital fool.
1: That was the, the first lesson I learned <laughs> when I talked to other authors, is, you know, don't expect to make a, lo- a bunch of money. You're right. But, uh, you know, really, it's we're trying to, we're trying to create a, a movement. We're trying to create that next evolution um, to get to get brands and other agencies, even our competitors, to create marketing that, that people find useful and meaningful. And we think that not only is that going to kind of raise the boats for all of us in the business and help it, you know, an economy that continues to suffer, but frankly, this is about making marketing a noble profession. I mean, one of the things that's been frustrating for me for years is that you know, in the surveys of least respected jobs marketing and advertising, you know, continues to be somewhere near car dealerships and uh, politicians. And that's not, you know, what I want to be. And so this is us, uh, our agency, and and the followers that we're getting so far kind of saying, hey, if we can turn advertising from being something that's, you know, often known as making people, uh, you know, interrupting their lives or or putting something in their face that they don't want to see, if we could do it where it's actually adding value, you know, maybe we can make marketing into a noble profession that helps us get the best and brightest out of college. It helps us, you know, get people to, to love their jobs and they come in every day even more.
0: I had mentioned, I'm always intrigued by seeing some of the accolades that are offered to, um, to authors and, and I pointed out John Gerzma a great deal of respect for, yeah. and David Meerman Scott who's another who has written a, a book on, on PR and recently the predecessor to this interview was with Brian Halligan at Inbound Marketing, Get Found Using Google, Social Media, and Blogs. I'm going to draw a distinction and ask you to address it. Uh, there is a notion within advertising and marketing that it really is, a, it, that it is an intrusion, if you will, Mm-hmm. um because of in people 's mindset they 're thinking of there's a, a screaming voice um, or there is an interruption right. in now an interminable football game because right. um, because of advertising um, this whole notion of inbound marketing or social networking versus uh advertising is is that kind of what you guys are trying to change is is that that advertising is screaming out and marketing is screaming out and somehow social networking are the people talking behind your back?
1: Yeah, I mean, in many ways, what, what, I, what we really need, I think, in the industry, I mean, we, we've, we've been through many times of, of many changes in the industry, obviously. Um, every time a new form of media is created, there's quickly a, a draw by, you know, those of us in the agency world and our clients to, to try to figure it out, right? So what do I do in mobile is a question I get all the time, or what, what do I need to be doing in social media? Unfortunately, you know, for years when, when something new comes up, the model that's been applied is that same old interruptive model, right? So how do I put a little banner ad on top of a mobile phone screen? Or how do I actually do a, a, a takeover, you know, of Facebook or something like that? And I think that's, that's too much of the, the old model applied to things that actually are breathtakingly, uh, breathtaking opportunities to actually connect brands to their consumers in, in ways that add value to their lives. And so, you know, I think that once you start and instead of kind of going and saying, I need to do social media, it's like, no, first you need to do something that is going to help your consumers. And then social media can be a great way of doing that. Um, one of the things that we got to work on for uh, the Love's diaper brand, a client of ours, um, people who buy Love's are or tend to be experienced moms uh, maybe on their second or third child, who you know are looking for a good value from a, a well-known brand, but you know they want to save a couple of bucks because they know it's diapers, and and you know it's it's uh, uh, you know they, they buy a lot more, and they need to watch those prices closely. Well, one yeah, of the
0: that, things... That, that first baby gets changed a lot
1: more. Yeah, and, and you <laughs> want to have the perfect diaper and the best <laughs> there is for that first baby, After right? a
0: while, that number two or three. Number hey, two or
1: three, you, you try the store bands. You, yeah, you... To you find you, a better way. Exactly. But uh, one of the things we discovered is that moms who buy loves or, or tend to buy loves, love to sh- they like to share tips with each other about mothering and actually have active debates and discussions. And so one of the things we did uh, for Loves is we kind of created a platform for women to compare, you know, and and actually debate things like private or public school or bottle versus breastfeeding. And that's a form of social media that Loves is kind of generating a conversation that we know that our our consumers, you know, love to have. And so that's something where we're not just getting out there and, and having a Facebook page for Loves. We're doing something that you know is actually fits very well with what the brand and, and its target consumers are about.
0: I was uh, I heard that while I was listening, I was reading an interesting conversation uh, with David Rock about uh, how your brain works uh, a few weeks ago. Very interesting book and a lot of books about neurosciences and and brain science. And uh, one of his comments was, "You really can't." a uh, parallel process. So I apologize. I was listening to that example. <laughs> but I was what I was really doing was thinking about another element in the book, which is actually a product that I use and stumbled upon uh, on social networking, and that is the um, that, that sponge. T- tell us the story of the the sponge that cleans things up. The Mr. Clean Magic Eraser. Mr. Clean Magic Eraser. I didn't realize how long that had been around because I, yeah. it, as I said I have an Apple computer and and, and it was somebody had brought it to our attention it does walls or something. And then I was down at the Apple yeah. Store in New York, and they said, it, it, it's, it's magic. It's the best thing to, to, to clean a computer case with. Right. And it, it is. But I noticed that in your book. Tell the story. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, it's actually,
1: uh, that, that was a product I got to work on when I was uh, a brain manager on Mr. Clean at uh, Procter & Gamble. And uh you know for those who haven't seen it yet, there's probably a couple people that haven't tried it but uh it's basically a uh a special foam that that has some eraser like properties that that you get it wet you you um wring it out and you can get marks off walls you can clean kitchen counters it really enables you to to clean off things you never thought you could. Crayon on a wall is is often the first time uh, parents come into to using it because there's nothing you can do to get crayon off right. But I mean, uh, I mean, we for launched an old, For an old guy
0: like me who still thinks the computer is a miracle, I <laughs> thought this Mr. Clean product was a miracle too. Yeah, you. I, I mean, couldn't we, figure out how it worked.
1: We, uh, we launched it in, uh, this was back in fall 2003. And uh, we had no idea, you know, it's a new category. It's always challenging for new products. We had no idea what the demand would be like or, or frankly, you know, even the best way to market it. And while we were trying to work on some television ads, it was starting to appear in stores, and we didn't have our TV nailed yet, so we we just put it out there with one marketing tool, which was a sampling program. Uh, We went to an existing database we had uh, in the home care brands at P&G. We offered uh, on email basically the chance for people to request a sample of of a Mr. Clean Magic Eraser in the mail. And within a matter of weeks, we had a million people uh, ask for it. And got into their hands and and from there, the word of mouth was tremendous. We ended up uh, getting a very fast ramp up in sales. We had uh, our retailers like walmart were were blown away at the initial sales and, and started stocking it more and This was all where, before we even had our television ads on air and so that was one of those kind of first examples of wow, you know this is really where marketing is going now where you can have a great product and then give people the opportunity to try it and benefit, you know, from word of mouth being, frankly, the leading strategy uh, for how it succeeds. And, you know, it's been a while since I worked on there. I have left the company about five years ago, and it was continuing to do well then. It, from everything I hear, it's, it's continuing to do great now, but especially due to that word of mouth factor where a great product that people rave about. And now digital tools are making it much easier for that word of mouth to spread.
0: They certainly are. Um. How difficult, and, and I asked John gersma this his book uh, the the uh, about the bubble the, the brand bubble brand yeah. bubble. Thank you very much. A uh, couple of observations. One is that brands, as a notion, are not going away. Right. I mean, of course, branding and brands are not going to go away. So there's nothing. There's not going to be a generic shoe here. This is going to be a Adidas, a Puma, a Nike. Um, how do guys like you who are who are born who have to evolve, who's evolving more quickly, your customer mm-hmm. or the professionals who are trying to move the product
1: I think it's it's definitely the I'd say who's moving the fastest are the customers and the entrepreneurs out there um, the The people who are at the biggest risks are the ones who are have worked in large companies where marketing's kind of been done the same way forever. And everyone, you know, who's all the way up to the top has kind of followed a similar formula. And they suffer from the innovator's dilemma where doing something new, you know, many times, you know, people aren't hired to to do something new or there's a lot of resistance internally. But some of the newer brands is where you start seeing some of the best marketing out there. Um, Red Bull is a client of ours. They haven't been around, they've been around maybe uh, uh, less than 10 years now. And their marketing program is is mostly experiential. Um, if so you look what at, does that mean, uh, it's events. It's uh, uh, events, not not that they're sponsoring, but they're actually putting on. So they have a, a flug tag every year where they have people create crazy airplanes that they go off a cliff into the water. They've got uh, soapbox derby races.
0: They got to do that in California.
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the, the California is one doing of them. That in yeah, uh, uh, they've got uh, events. At New Year's Eve, they'll have a, a stunt that they put on that actually ESPN pays them to show the stunt that they will do on New Year's Eve. I mean, they they've uh, they are in NASCAR, but they're not just putting their name on the NASCAR, they actually created a team from scratch that they own and run because that's really what they believe in is kind of creating that, that, that brand ethos of uh, revitalizing mind and body. And while they do some a small amount of traditional TV advertising, what makes that brand great is that they're, they're out there being active, um, in some cases creating sports that have never been created before that could that's not coming from a coca-cola or a pepsi that's coming from from an upstart who, you know, doesn't have those old rules that they're uh kind of wedded to over time.
0: Right. Interesting. Interesting and interesting that I'm speaking to Bob Gilbrath, chief marketing strategist for Bridge Worldwide and he's written a book The Next Evolution of Marketing: Connect with Your Customers by Marketing with Meaning. Um, strikes me that in in um, I'm reading a book about about Google and also uh i'm thinking about the financial financial services world a little bit um the the buffer if you will between the product manufacturer and their their customer and obviously the a traditional party in the interstitial space was advertising and and marketing firms. As with large financial firms, they found that capital markets, functions, and the like were things that were assumed by companies. Um, Mm -hmm. You are somebody who was working with a company, and now you're on the agency side. As a big business, are companies, given what social networking is, um, the companies that are successful, do they... Do they outsource um, this kind of marketing? Is there life and vitality? I know the answer is yes, but I like <laughs> the answer. In in agency work, or is the are the tools to market, um, depending on on the product or the person? Are the tools there where companies can do it themselves?
1: Definitely. I, I think that especially in uh, social media is probably, w- we're very early. I mean, the, 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 oh, thing to, are, uh, the thing to remember is that nothing changes overnight, and especially organizational behavior. I mean, actually, last month was the 15th anniversary of the banner ad. Wow. And uh, most a lot of companies are, are spending just a tiny fraction of their dollars on banners, despite people spending almost as much time, or, or even more in some cases, online than they are, say, watching television. Yeah. So it takes a long time for, for these things to take hold. But I think what's interesting with, with social media, um, it actually has a potential to, to restructure the entire, you know, not only the marketing department, but many other departments within traditional companies. Because social media, if you take an example of, of Twitter, for example, uh, Twitter is a way to get uh, feedback on how your product is uh, performing. It's a way to promote sales and promotions. It's a way to add some content that people might find useful uh, it's a way to press to to handle p r issues <laughs> that go on or even p r you know positive opportunities that's hit the functions of marketing customer service the p r group the sales group um, even r and d can learn from monitoring what other people are twittering about their brand you know that that's and that's just one tactic and so That's one of the things that companies have to wrestle with is where does this live? And and there's not a, you know, and even within the agency world, does it live in the PR agency, the digital agency, the the agency of record who usually does television and print? Those debates are going on all over the halls of of our clients and and a lot of other uh, companies out there.
0: Let let, let me interrupt to ask you a question on Twitter. Um, I'm relatively new to it. McLaughlin at work, it gets Twittered on occasion. Yep. On occasion, but I'm not, I'm not in that space enough as, as I know I should. So, sure. you know, this is what I learned from, uh, from Brian Halligan that you've got to get out there in a variety of, of different ways. Yep. That having been said, it still strikes me that there are, and this may be stupid, there's still relatively few Twitterers, aren't there? I mean, you know, th- this stuff moves so quickly, yeah. people couldn't spell twit. Right, a year, uh, a year ago, roughly right. November before Shaq or somebody else sure, decided sure. That they'd really get on the bandwagon. Yeah. This was something that was nothing. When, when people talk about Twitter, and, and the McLaughlin at Work audience uh, is sophisticated, and because otherwise they couldn't listen to this. Right. While Bo- Gilbrath is sophisticated, or he wouldn't have written a great book, The Next Evolution of Marketing, he wouldn't have <laughs> friends like... Uh, like John Gerzma and David Meerman Scott. But how many uh, normal Americans or, or people around the world, does everybody Twitter now?
1: No, I mean, that, that is something you have to remember is that, you know, in many of these cases, it's still a fraction of your customer base that that is uh, active in the, in these groups. I think that the key thing that we, you know coach our clients on is, you know, number one, you can monitor what people are saying pretty easily. Right. And that can be a great early warning uh, uh, radar source for you to understand if something's going well or not so well. But you know, what it also does is, is it can be handled by someone internally with not a lot of time. Um, I talked to uh, one of the, the brands that's doing the most on Twitter is Southwest Airlines. There's one woman who her responsibility is about seven different things in the PR group, including being active on Twitter, um, not just you know saying some things of what's going on with, with Southwest, but being responsive to other people and and really kind of living and breathing what the brand is about.
0: Well, and and they've always been cutting edge.
1: Yeah, but you know it, it doesn't take a major strategy. It didn't take you know a, a huge investment and and now they have uh, tens of thousands of followers on Southwest Airlines and, you know, in an airline business where, you know, each one of those followers could buy a $200 ticket a year, you know, that can add up to some real real dollars there. Um, so, and, and they will continue to evolve and grow that as it becomes a bigger part of uh, uh, people's lives. If it doesn't, it didn't take them a lot to, to set it up to begin with. And that's where I think is interesting, even for small businesses, Um, You can set up a Facebook presence in five minutes. You can set up a Twitter account in five minutes. Play with it a little bit, see how it's working, get feedback from people, and uh, learn from there.
0: On some of these items, and take uh, YouTube or Facebook or the like, I think there's some issue, concern among the the ignoramuses, of which I am one, (laughs) um, about Facebook and Twitter and now you know, un- relatively unfortunately, perhaps, on, on the Tiger Woods issue about text messages. Right. Wh- when you go on Facebook and you go on Twitter, and now we know you when you text message, it'll never go away, right?
1: Right, yeah. And, I mean, and
0: how do you factor that in? I mean, I'm not on Facebook but partly because I, I don't know which, which way to go on it, but also I'm not sure that I'm ready to, 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 to write that book.
1: Right. Well, I mean, I, the, the reality is this didn't happen just because of of Twitter and Facebook. It's really more of as soon as the first uh, page was indexed on a search engine, you know, for Yahoo and now Google, anything pretty much lasts forever. <laughs> um, you know, now you can cower from that, and 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 you know, bar- marketers can be afraid of that, and or feel like legal has to review everything four times before they get out there. That's really tough, and the chances are you're not going to benefit from some of the opportunities that exist. But if you kind of turn around and say, hey, I accept that, you know, it's going to be out there forever and I need to make sure I monitor myself closely or admit that you're going to say some dumb stuff, but the great thing about kind of social media is you can come in and say, hey, everybody, sorry I screwed up. It's a very personal medium. You know, yeah. it's, it's really, you know, about someone being human. And once you get out there and, and step out of the brand silo of, you know, this is the brand, and it's impeccable. It's a, a tower, and make the brand more full of people who sometimes say dumb stuff. You know, it actually can make people feel better about the brand uh, overall.
0: And that's why your firm, Bridge Worldwide, does not have any legal counsel. <laughs> <laughs> you to get Try rid of not that. to. Yeah. You decide to get rid of that gating <laughs> exactly. That, that, that lower cost. You let the people respond. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, tell us about. Tell us. Uh, we only got a couple more minutes here, but I think sure. that the um, you've written a book. What, what do you, um, Why'd you do it? What do you think about it? Are you proud of it? Did it encapsulate? What What is the sense? G- give the people who are who would read your book what the author is is all about. How do you feel about it?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, overall, the the main reason I wrote the book is for people who um, are like who I was at Procter and Gamble, brand manager. You know, working hard at a big company. You know that. And wanting to to make a difference, wanting to grow sales, wanting to you know have my career you know improve, but knowing that what I was doing the the process we were using today wasn 't working very well, and so I read lots of books I mean I was an avid reader of Seth Godin. and I still am I love his books, but you know what i what I was kind of frustrated with with some of his and, and others was Great concept, but how do what do I do today? You know, how, you, you know people who didn't really understand what it's like living in the trenches, where I've got to take it through legal, I've got to take it through six layers of management, and you can't just hand them the Seth Godin book and said, hey, here's why you should come up with my idea because this is a great book, and so I've really you know something that kind of kept me driving was thinking about the people like me, and and I really wrote it for understanding what you know that that brain manager in the trenches, you know, at a two-person company or a two hundred thousand-person company is thinking about. And and I tried to bring throughout the the book, you know, kind of a how-to, not just a bunch of examples, but, you know, here's some watch-outs. Here's how to get your boss to approve it, you know, your idea. Here's how to make sure you've got good measurement plans. Here's what to say when legal pushes back, you know. And again, even using many, many examples, that gives uh, someone the confidence that, hey, if someone's done it before and seen success, maybe I can get there too. And so that's not only how I wrote the book, but it's why I continue to blog at marketingwithmeaning.com. I've got a Twitter feed. I'm up there really trying to, you know, can, you know convert uh, uh, the po- folks out there that are, are struggling to figure out how to make it work into, to people who are successful and then can, uh, you know, generate that next evolution of marketers.
0: <laughs> right. And in this case, you could tell them that if they run into a jam, buy the book and give it to your boss.
1: <laughs>
0: exactly. Uh, well, by do two. Seth golden book you can do with Bob Gilbreth's book. <laughs>
1: um,
0: enjoyed the time, Bob Gilbreth, chief marketing strategist, Bridge Worldwide. In this case, on McLaughlin at work to discuss his book, "The Next Evolution of Marketing: Connect with Your Customers with Marketing with Meaning." Uh, Bob, good luck with the book. Good luck with the proselytizing, and um, good luck with. All that is happening in this world seems to change, so maybe sometime in mid-210, we'll uh, come back to you, and like Ed Koch used to say in New York when he was mayor, how am I doing? I would love it. We'll come back and see how is how's the next evolution working out now that we're six, another six months into it.
1: Sounds great. Thanks, Paul.
0: Thanks, Bob, so much. Yeah, that'll about do it for this episode. Thanks very much for joining me, Paul McLaughlin. McLaughlin at work, and we'll catch you on the flip-flop sometime later in 2010. Like next week. Good day.